The views and opinions expressed on From the Mouths of Madness are that of the panel and not of the Geeks Under the Influence Network or their sponsors, Amazon.com and TeePublic.com. Listeners, beware. Straight from the Mouths of Madness. I'm one of the hosts, Lowdown. With me, as always, is... Evyar. What's up, bitches? What's up, you seasonal bitches? Yeah, you, seasonal. Uh, uh, corrupt, eternal, innocent Finding bitches. strength through whatever, like... Uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. There's maybe, a, that's not strength. Well, one of them is. One, one of the of stories. One yeah, of, one of the one stories. stories. Yeah. One of the stories. And it's fitting to its subtitle. Yes. Um, so uh, on tonight's episode, we're going to be discussing um, Stephen King's four novella collection book, Different Seasons. Now, this was the second collection book that he came out with, first one being Night Shift. Last year, we started off with doing Night Shift, and we're just going to continue in chron- chronological order for all his collection stories and just talk about the adaptations from each one in lieu of the master's birthday, which is September, which is going to be uh, September 21st. So Happy birthday, Steven. St- we always do a Stephen <laughs> King episode since we've started. This is year three, and uh, we always- I was say, who, who, always who should we have on have this to episode bring with us? The, ma- the, the man that like is me, me times like 100 with my Stephen King knowledge and love. Uh, we got Mike Reiser back. Hey guys, how's it going? Hey man, you got some good news going on in your life. Let's go. Let's get a little, let's just a little update on that shit. Oh yeah, so uh, we'll be uh, doing the uh, ultimate Stephen King thing and uh, hopefully having a good marriage. <laughs> <laughs> so not Dolores Claiborne. No. <laughs> also not the titular a good marriage. No, no, no. Like no. it didn't end well. It didn't end well one. at all. No. Does he have good marriages in his books? Yeah, Lisey's story. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of marriage in his books, so it's just like to have to pull out one out of mm-hmm. I mean fifty five years. Pet of Cemetery, I mean, you know, till death do us part. I mean, yeah, yeah. Bag of Bones also <laughs> had an excellent marriage. They did because yep. that was always about the grieving of yep the loss of the marriage. That is true. That is true. That's an underrated story. It's a bit bloated. Oh, very much so. That was they like, could have cut that book in half, and it would have been a much better all through read. It was peak '90s Stephen King needed an editor. Period. Yes, and also he. He couldn't really keep his like thoughts concise and get it down to fill that many pages with like detailed stuff because he had stopped coke. He got you know like when he was coked out and he wrote a thousand page book. You're like, yeah, I'm in on this shit. And then '90s Stephen King thousand page book. You're like, ah, I don't know about this, guys. I mean, we got Tommy Knockers, Bag of Bones, good yep. stories, just too long. Insomnia. <laughs> Yeah, that's another one. Again, great fucking concept. I lo- I did enjoy the read, but I'm like, dude, come on. That was 600 fucking 50 pages, bro. Like, you yep. could have <laughs> nipped that in the bud. Um, but yeah, so this go around is Different Seasons. Came out in August 1982, and I'm sure all of you beautiful horror horror listeners know the three adaptations. And if you don't, I'm I'm actually disappointed. I'm well, actually let's a little bit disappointed. This. Was there something in the contract that only strong Hollywood directors could adapt these stories specifically? Because the list of directors, I wouldn't, that I wouldn't took call all these one of them very strong at the time. He was a baby at the time. It's okay. Well, let's just say. <laughs> and then he was. You got gross afterwards. You got Rob so. Reiner. Rob Reiner's a beast. Rob no, Reiner. Two of them. Frank Darabont. Two of them are a beast. And like. And I'll say the time though. I want you to think about this. All right, Brian Singer. But this is 
following Usual Suspects. True. This okay. is at the yeah. peak of yeah. Usual Suspects being the fucking movie. And so this is the thing. Brian Singer was like, this is going to be my second film. There was a lot yeah, of attention for that. So. Yeah, it was absolutely marketed as the prestige thing. It was seen as sort of the uh, Quentin Tarantino making the jump from Reservoir Dogs to Pulp Fiction. Yeah. yeah. At least marketing-wise. Yeah. But I'm just saying... I see what um, you're saying. Some of the properties and of some of the directors of the of Stephen King properties. Oh, no. This book has three qualified... Look, we can have our issues with Singer, and that's complete... Yeah. But he has directed several strong movies. No, and 100%. Like, you can't yeah. take that away from Singer. He has made some phenomenal I'm films. I'm just saying we're not talking about the Mauler here, okay? Like, I mean, <laughs> shit. Yeah. yeah um, correct. And, and like... We're gonna. I mean, we're gonna just jump in and go in order of the stories, in order of the seasons listed. So, and this one is probably the the director that has done the best adapt adapting of Stephen King. And unfortunately, he's only done three. I would like to see him do it's, all of them. <laughs> like, it's, it's you know what though. Like, I, I, like I'm all gonna throw, of them. I'm gonna throw a controversial thing out, right? Mm-hmm. All right. I think it's a tie between this and the Mist. No, 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 no. This is the Green Mile. No, I'm saying the director and. One of the other directors I just brought up, Rob Reiner. Uh, I'm sorry, but no, I mean you got Misery and you've got yeah, but Frank Darabont's done three. I understand he's Rob Reiner's only done two, so that immediately kills the tie. But I'm talking about all three were amazing. All three Green Mile was fucking awesome. Yeah, none of them have anything on Mike Flanagan though. (laughs) (laughs) Oh shit, I forgot. No, no, Mike Flanagan. Because all those stories that we just dropped. Of what was adapted by those two direct by those two directors were great stories. Flanagan took a shit story and made it better. Right. Doctor Sleep again. He took a, th- a third contender has entered the ring. Yeah. Okay, and yeah. an unfilmable novel with Gerald's game. Yeah, no shit. Like he, Ooh, this, yeah, yeah. This yeah. Is, uh, Flanagan right. Flanagan went the risque way and was like, no, I got this. Yeah, you know, like, that's, didn't that's even a good point. blink at a that's novel a that takes place entirely I, inside someone's head. I think the thing for me and why I always I had to bring up Rob Reiner though is that because he's not associated with the King properties like Darabont and and like uh, what's his name Mike Flanagan. Flanagan. Yeah, Flanagan. I drew blank. I'm just saying when you say Rob Reiner, <sighs> you jump on. A lot of his other properties, but again, yeah. he's got two King properties that like, yeah, go those right do go there. by the wayside. And people, if you bring up Stand by Me or Misery, people are like don't know who directed those. Yeah, yeah, like they really don't yeah. because when you say Airbound, you're like, oh, you know, King King properties. Yeah, so, like exactly. And Walking Dead season one. Yep. Which yeah, oh Frank Darabont. Anyway, ah, uh, so the Frank Darabont directed adaptation is the uh, is based off the short story Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption. Subtitle: Hope Springs Eternal. So that goes to the happy-go-lucky thing Hunter yeah. was talking about yeah. earlier. But his film came out in 94, The Shawshank Redemption. And, I mean, <laughs> it's, oh, I mean, do we really need to really explain like, that movie to, to anybody listening? Cause... It's literally been on every fucking television, sh- uh, TV sh- uh, station ever. I mean. I-, I will say this. my I got to introduce it to Parker for the first time this year. And he's like, I don't know. I was like, just just watch it. And he made it through halfway, and he had to stop. He's like, yeah, I mean, I'm enjoying it all right. I was like, just keep watching. Keep watching it, man. And he, he, he no, that's a one-through And movie. once like, he finished love... it, he was like, wow. I was like, yeah. When I rewatched it, which I didn't need to, I just wanted to, like any excuse. Like, I probably watched Saw Sank, I know, every, at least once a year, but probably twice at a minimum. It's in that category, just... and there's, there's it, I call it my 20, that if it's on TV, no matter where what part it's, it's at, on, you're like, I'm watching to the end. Yep. Yeah, it's almost unfair how good that turned out. It's like in the same tier as stuff like Goodfellas, The Godfather, things people will endlessly be watching until the end of time. Exactly. And 
those two films you just rep- compared it to actually won Oscars. This one got nominated, but did it win? Oh man, it it, it came it got out. Robbed. That's the one of the problems is that it came out in a really tough year because it came out the same year as Forrest Gump, which swept most Oscars. It also came out the same year as Pulp Fiction. Mm. It also came out the same year as Ed Wood. It came out the same year as a lot of movies that. As good as it is, it just the, it was the odds were stacked against it. If it come out the year before that, probably would have done per great because there was a shit that really came out that year, all right? But it came out in the year where you're going up against fucking that's, Pulp Fiction. That's still and the one of the highest grossing Tom Hanks movies of all time. That still speaks to it though because it was still up for nomination against a, a year exactly. that strong. So. Yeah, it's not the end-all, be-all. Taxi Driver didn't win, after all. And oh, this God. is a better movie than Taxi Driver. Oh, no, no. Yes. yes. Goodfellas didn't win. Yeah. And so that right oh. there is... That's another one of those films where if it's on, I'm watching it. Yeah. I don't give a yeah. fuck. I'm watching Goodfellas, Oh, it dude. lost it to Dance with Wolves. So oh. you know how much you watch rewatch Dance with Wolves, right? Uh, I've watched it once. Yeah. Yeah. When I was younger. No. That's, that's it. I have zero reasons. I saw I... that year, and that was... <laughs> it was but like, yeah, it was I think... Cool, okay. This is This movie fits... <laughs> All the categories because the direction, the plot, the actors, everything, the cinematography, the score, everything, it just all hits. And it is, you know, a lot of people have it in their top 10 movies of all time because it's almost just the perfect movie. And to get that from a King property now, it and it, it's that good, not because the director had to fuck with it, because in my notes, I'm just like, no, there's like literally... Not really any differences between the between the novella and but you and the movie. gotta give it you gotta give it up for Darabont. I give it more. I, I give it a lot main, to that. Your main character Red, he went. Oh yeah, he you made a black instead of Irish. You know what? Let's go yeah. with Morgan Freeman. You know when you close your eyes, you think no, yeah, but Morgan like Freeman. Red still does narrate the book, and I would much rather listen to Morgan Freeman's sultry voice than listen to some fucking no, I fucked up Irish accent. Yeah, I don't want David... I don't want like David Car- hours. I don't want David Caruso fucking yeah, being the narrator, awesome. right? Hey, come on. But I'm saying that was also Darabont kind of taking a risk going, you know, this direction, which... If- and you know, that's what's crazy. Like, I don't even... I, I know that I know that's the difference, and I've, I remember explaining it to my son and, uh, you know, Rachel, and it's like, I, I don't even think about that when I watch it. I don't, because... That difference is so unsubstantial to the story, and that's that Darabout. it just that's doesn't. Going, you know, let me go this direction. So yeah, the thing that Darabont shows is that he's incredibly comfortable with the level of violence and tension in the Stephen King story. It's not dialed back even a little bit, which. The body pulls a couple of punches uh, in its film adaptation, yeah, Stand yes, By Me. An apt pupil might as well almost be a different story. Mm-hmm. But um, with uh, the biggest thing that also really helped with Shawshank was, I mean, we have so much star power in this movie. And we're not, and like, we're not talking about in, intro actors. Like, they spent fucking money. I mean, we're not even going to go with the big hitters. We're going to go with, like, got Clancy Brown, obviously Tim Robbins. Fucking Bob Gunton. Come on, dude. Him, him as the warden has some of the most fucking notable, quotable lines of any film. Yeah, I mean, to go from Demolition Man to Which this. Is fucking <laughs> horrible. Well, God. I'm going to throw another one out there. William Sadler. To go William from Sadler. the bad guy in Die, Die Hard 2, 2. Where he does naked like yoga naked, in naked, the beginning. Naked of the, karate in the mirror. To then go to taking a very much non-spotlight oh, going, role. Going from death yeah. into... This death bogus journey. Yeah, yeah, that's true. He's yeah. William Sadler, and, and you which know. side note, he was at one of the cons. 
and I had I was like, there's a couple movies. Again, I debated if it was gonna be bogus or I was like, fuck it, I gotta do Shawshank. I asked him, can you put something on my poster? He said, gotcha. He said, Lawyer fucked me. Didn't do it. Lawyer fucked me. Oh, so what's up? And I was like, <laughs> oh, it's so good. And again, he I wasn't like, could you put this right? Could you? He was like, I'll write this. I got you. Yep. James Whitmore, who was uh, Brooks, who was veteran fucking actor. I mean, yeah. dude, that was one of his last movies. He had like a. 40 year movie career before that consisting of like a hundred projects the dude fucking yeah i used i, I like just randomly watching a lot of old films you know and he's been in a bunch of good I ones one of the I, I and then mark mark rolston oh yeah uh, obviously you know who's the head of the queens Yep, getting his fucking he had to eat out of a tube. Oh, that was so. Oh, that, was, that was when one of the most just dragged just, just back such, into the cell. Yeah, and you're just like, oh, oh man, you're in a world of hate. Oh, dude, oh, hurt man. No, oh. and, and hate. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like both. And that's the thing that you were saying is about the violence in the book and how Darabont's able to communicate it without showing it because you see Andy Dufresne get attacked by the sisters, and you don't then you see him get raped though. Well, no, 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 no. But that. you see them surround him, and then. Yeah. Camera motion, and then the narration, and then, and then narration of like months, sometimes he months, doesn't. and months, and so you know, yeah, there's some fucked up shit that happens. We and, don't have to see it; we already have the idea. Exactly, and like we don't need to see him like limp. Yeah, you, know, <laughs> you don't have. I mean, you don't, have, you don't need to see that yeah, shit. Andy's butthole after a while. It's like you don't, <laughs> we don't need that. All right, <laughs> his butthole was so puckered up that yeah, like not I mean, not ten I, ice cream cones could cool down that puckered asshole. Wouldn't, like, it, wouldn't, be, wouldn't it be more like he lost functionality of puckering? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, I'm just yeah, saying like, we don't need that narration. We just already know what's yeah. happening. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, so I, I think the biggest thing for me was the the the, the actors they got. Obviously, it's the the writing into a screenplay, but then the people that deliver that shit. Um, it's just I can't say enough good things about this. And Tim it's Robbins, setting. dude, like Tim Robbins, just the scene where like the way he captured Andy Dufresne. And one big scene for me was when he's fucking locks the door, puts on the record, and he knows he knows he's fucked. Yeah, he knows it, and he's just shit eating grin, fucking playing music for the rest of the fucking prison, and he knows he's. He just, knows he's in a, he's in so much fucking shit right now. He doesn't care. He was what two months in the hole. Yep, he like, didn't care. Yeah. What the just fuck? A smirk on, just yeah. a smirk the entire time. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I obviously love this fucking movie, and I've got to the point where I watched all the behind the scenes shit. Come to find out, I think something else that really works with me is they took over a you know shut down prison. Yeah, yeah. And you can like you can visit that prison. Yeah, and I think that works because it's not some Hollywood set. You're like, all right, pretend you're like. These actors experience being in, in prison. prison, like environment. Yeah, environment. So I think that also brings out this kind of true feel to that movie. Yeah, and uh, I was gonna say the other thing mentioning the prison. I'm thinking these these soaring scenes is the cinematographer. Uh, I can't oh, remember man. his name right now, but that dude caught so many fucking awesome shots pre like drone era of now where you can just like literally record with a drone flying everywhere. He had to like. Attack! I don't. I'm assuming there were drones, but it probably was. I mean, this is '94, so cranes assuming, and helicopters. Yeah, I mean, right. Like, and, and I think it's pretty obvious. And well, I'll just, I'll just say, I mean, this is the top king adaptation. I mean, oh, uh, yeah. I mean, because I mean, I mean, there's <sighs> other properties that I say are pretty high up, but this is the the property that you try, try, try to break down any problems you have with it. It's just not going to happen. Um, I know. I mean, I will, there's another one that we're going to touch. Uh, ne uh, not next, but there's another one we're going to touch from this series that yeah. it might it did it, it's, it's kind of give it a run for its money. Yeah, uh, because it it's almost like a, not only is it like a well I'll, I'll save it till we get to that. So um, 
Unless there's uh, anything else you want to say about Shawshank. Last thing I want to say is is that it's crazy that Darabont, who had been involved with a lot of horror properties prior to Shawshank, with you know co-writing Nightmare Three, mm-hmm. co co-writing um, The Blob, his foot was all in horror. So you hear Darabont doing a King property, and yet this is the most non one of the most non horror movie like horror stories. That- yeah, but there. I mean, like I guess there is a sense of. I don't know, I feel like there's always a sense of, like, horror throughout the story up until, like, the final satisfying scene of Andy's escape and but then It's more of a drama than, I'm just saying. It is, it is, it is more of a, well, no, as a story, it is still more of a drama, but, like, maybe it is, maybe it is because we've read it, like, the horror element's heavier through reading it. I, yeah, it's, it's interesting because uh, Different Seasons started as an alternative collection for Stephen King that he pitched his publisher on. He had been pigeonholed at that point as a horror writer. There was entirely too much money riding on the next big Stephen King horror book. And he, of course, wanted to spread his wings and do something different. And Different Seasons, they're all horror-informed, but none of them are explicitly a horror story in any of the novellas in there. So good. Well, and honestly, I think a theme we'll, we'll find, at least through the three that were adapted, not so much in the final one, is that it all exp- it all really just kind of delves into the um, humans and the horror kind of within, like, the horror elements that are in Shawshank were all human. It yeah. was the guards, it was the warden, it was the, the queens, it was life behind bars, you know, institutionalized, and, like, seeing what happens when you've been institutionalized and you get out when they find out about Brooks and he fucking killed himself, like, all that shit is fucking horrifying. You know? Yep, and Stephen King does have books that focus on ghosts, cryptids, all kinds of other things, but humans are always, always, always the scariest villains in all of them. Yes. Bag of Bones has a lake full of ghosts, and who's the scariest people? Some real estate developers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, shit, even in Tommyknockers, like, yeah, oh, fuck, alien spaceship, aliens, fuck, no, it's, it's the humans. It's the town. It's the whole town. Whole fucking town. And Darabont got that so well as well with the mist. Yeah. Oh, man. Yep. Oh, we'll get to that. Well, we, yeah, we'll get to that next year. Because that was in Nightmares and Dreamscapes, right? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, that'll be next year's, uh, yeah. But again, yeah. Shawshanks, so, it's the shit. Well, next up, next up, we got one from uh, Brian Singer. Yep. 1998's film at Pupil, based off a... The second short story of the same name, subtitled Summer of Corruption. Now, right off the bat, I will say that the big difference is the the time frame in which the movie took place versus the novella. The novella took place in like almost like four year time span, basically like his almost like entire high school career. Not but like four weeks. No, <laughs> really? like in the movie, it was like a month and yeah, a half, that's what I'm saying. and it was like, still it's... in the fall. Like it still wasn't even summer. Yeah. So I'm like, what the fuck? Anyway, just yeah. There was like thirty chapters, and each one was a different month. month. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So that's right away. That's the big difference. But um, the the main difference is just what, like like Mike, you said earlier. Like, it's almost a different story. It it's really only a different story when it cuts to when they f- pull the shit on each other of like, well, I've got a letter I'm going to send to so and so. Oh, I've got this whole uh, fucking uh, manifesto in a lockbox, and they're bluffing each other, and they stop seeing each other, and then the rest of the movie goes this way, and the book. Goes this way. <laughs> That's really, I think, the hard turn. There's a couple nuances here and there, but basically the same shit. They fucking, you know, they uh, 
he fakes being the grandfather talks talks to uh was it um the Schwimmer. Yeah. <laughs> David Schwimmer David in this ridiculous Schwimmer. false mustache. God, it's so terrible bad. wig. Dude, it's so bad. Terrible wig, terrible glasses. It's like oh. a 1998's worst discount answer to what people in 84 looked like. <laughs> it's almost like Singer was trying to paint what a peta ass would look like, you know, um, mm. with the mustache, the glasses, the mm. shitty sweater, yeah. you know, diversion. I don't know. Anyhow, we'll get back on. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, the night, you know, the, the visions, the nightmares, all that stuff is pretty much neck for neck. But it's like the big thing in the book is that it actually takes like a few year gap because the majority of the book takes place like the first year and then like the last few months. And there's like a few year gap in between. And like the main character who was played by uh, Renfro, um, Brad Renfro, Todd Bowen was like now killing homeless people like a lot. Oh, really? Like a lot of homeless people. As opposed people. to it just being. Well, know. no, it's both of them in the book. Yeah. They both are doing okay. it without knowing they're both. They, they don't Aww. know each other's doing it. They're I know it's so cute. I also killed a homeless person. Yeah, yeah but we're in, so that sounds like a really bad in the book. Sitcom. It's in the movie. It's one. It's Elias Cotiers. Damn it! Who was like going to sell his ass? I guess at the same time. I, that was, that <laughs> so, was so weird. <laughs> man. I'm like, wait a minute. What? He took a hard turn. Like, uh, in the morning, could I get ten dollars? Like, dude. Strong, reach higher than ten dollars, man. God damn. <laughs> He's like in the morning, you can do whatever you want, any any holes anywhere, ten dollars. Like, dude, could get a higher price structure, man. Yeah, it was God that was uh, that was a thing. That's hard up. That's yeah, dude. Really hard <laughs> up. It was an addict, dude. Yeah. You, like, you know, and oh man. They didn't tell if he had bathed yet. Could you imagine that ass? Oh, oh god. Yeah, oh, no, he looked pretty oh. uh yeah. Looked pretty crusty. That's just yeah. like a shitty booty. I'd be like, no, bro, you need to go soak in that bleach. First, and then we'll <laughs> but no, that and that. So it was they, they they neutered the film, and I understand ninety eight. You know, we're post Columbine because another part of the book. You want to dig in? You want to go with this one, Mike? <laughs> Which part are you referring? The to? The highway. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, it ends with like a spectacular mass shooting that only Stephen King, the guy who wrote Rage, uh, yeah. road work, could pull off. Yeah, I mean, really? So yeah, there's a part in the book where Very he different. couldn't. Um, he had, he had to stop being a serial killer, basically. He couldn't go kill homeless people. Yeah. And so he decided to, he found a perch in like a covered, but he had view of uh, the highway from up above, and he would just like randomly pick off people on the highway. Ooh. But at the end, after he shoots Schwimmer in the yeah. face in the book, like at, when he's at his house, he yeah. completely goes crazy. Like that's the point in the book. It shows him he literally loses his mind from everything dealing Not with just suggesting. Yeah, no, yeah, he yeah. loses his fucking mind. And the book ends with him on a five-hour shooting spree on the interstate with a rifle before the cops shoot him. That's how the book ends. Damn, dude, yeah, that's okay. fucking hard, dude. But I get why they couldn't film that in '98. But you no. could have maybe made some more suggestions. I mean, the, the dude, ending post Columbine, dude. I understand like, post Columbine. Post like, Columbine, but that, that, that changed everything. You could have gone to black, have him cock a gun, go to black. Suggested. Some, oh, okay, okay. You see what yeah, I'm yeah, because yeah, yeah. the way it ends, it's just like, yeah, well, I'm gonna call you this and that teacher, and then, like, ooh, devious, like devious, and fucking shooting a bunch of motherfuckers. Not, Not this, so. I would, yeah, because you, so you could literally have that scene, pretty much have him hold a gun, cock it, you know, walk into where, like, just anywhere. Fade to black and gunshots ring out. Yeah, credits. I mean, that, that, and you would have communicated more of what King wanted without showing some fucked up shit. Just suggesting. Yeah, the movie's interested in more a different dynamic of fucked up shit and power corrupting. 
uh, this story, the novella, is basically the most coherent example of Stephen King's philosophy on evil, how it corrupts, how it spreads person to person. And it's a theme that you can see later in Sleeping Beauties, all kinds of different uh, ones was that so, he's got. That's a great, it was a great newer one. Yeah, and right. it's essentially it's, the older parent working cool, with right? somebody younger. Yeah, it was co-written with his son, yeah. Owen. Owen, yeah. yeah. So this, this is his vision of evil, and of course it ends incredibly violently in the story. The Brian Singer uh, adaptation brings something different to the table. That wasn't in the novel at all. The novel's brutally misogynistic, especially involving like the young girls that Bowen uh, is involved with um, and unable to perform with. That makes it over to the movie, but this movie has a huge splash of gay subtext, and there's definitely elements of gay S&M and control going on in it. Uh, the horror in the Stephen King adaptation where it first breaks bad is the first killing of a homeless person. In the movie, the oh shit moment is when Bowen shows up with a Nazi uniform uniform for his mentor demands that he puts it on or gets turned over to the Israelis for execution and uh, commands him to goose step around the house and laughs while watching it. Yeah. As a person who has like zero fuck all knowledge of that this existed as a Stephen King short story has read it or whatever. This is a, this is a good film. Like I think from start to finish it flows. It's a, it's a good film. It has, it has a resolution that, that works, but for viewers that, Especially when it came out, like I could imagine, like they went into this, like it, it is, it's completely neutered. But when you, if you actually watch it, like that scene specifically that you just talked about, I'm like it is very fucking like scary because you just see it in Denker's eyes, like oh fuck, I'm like he's back, he's yeah, like and, in and that's that what shit. Saying, yeah, is and that that's and horrifying that's, to that's me? Ian McKellen, I think, is oh, just amazing. Actor. He went from feeble oh, yeah. and fuck, like I uh, don't want to do this to like goose oh, step. Like, he was I'm, I'm, dude. I'm fucking back. Like, He's the chess bitch. Let's yeah. go. Like he Almost was like you don't know his history of like he was forced to work there. No, he, but when he you, liked, when you yeah, see yeah. the goose, he liked that shit. Then you're like <laughs> he. You see, oh, he's, no, he's a, he was a you, bad. You person. can stop now. You can stop. And he's like, no, no, no. Give me, give me a minute. Yeah, I'm, give me a minute. He's like a, he was a bad person. Yeah, he was a truly bad person. Yeah, so it was what makes it so interesting, compelling, and horrifying to watch is the role reversal and the power dynamics. The like crawling humiliation as he has to put on this thing that he doesn't like and picks at it, and then all of a sudden. It's a machine that the kid can't turn off. Rewatching it and just seeing fucking Ian McKellen, you know, when I first saw it, I didn't know who the fucking Ian McKellen was because I did see this prior to X-Men or any of that shit and I didn't know who he, I didn't know he was. And going back and watching it and everything I've seen him in since, I'm just like, fuck. It's oh, such a different dude. role, yeah. It just so it just goes so hard. Like Oh, with with, like, with the homeless guy? When he oh, comes yeah, around dude. and he's massaging his temple as he's grabbing the knife. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, that's the. <laughs> I just say that's. That's. Part of. <laughs> so fucking weird. And yet, like, he's that determined. He's like, I'm going to put you in the most relaxing spot I can before I murder the shit out of you. Mm -hmm. Kind of like what he did as a officer. Yeah, where exactly. He's like, Go take a shower. Cool. Yeah. And the cool thing off. is, it wasn't just like a race that they were trying to obliterate, it was homosexuality. The Nazis were. Yeah, trying to kill all gay people. But I'm saying, like, so just, it's just, but it was also very, the manner, the, it was just fitting how they did, how they made it work in the film compared to but the manner the story. Of, uh, of the kill. That's what I'm saying is, yeah, is not the. Well, it was very, like, it was more, gonna, it was very seductive. In, it was a seductive I'm kill. Knock you out and kill you. It's until it wasn't. I want to put you in the most ease spot before I murder the shit out of you, like he did as a Nazi. Yeah. yeah, he mentions very early on in his lessons that uh, there is uh, no more powerful feeling in the world than having someone in front of you who is alive only because you allow them to be. He did, yes. Yep. Yep. And that's exactly what he does there. It's, uh, it's the setup and the payoff. 
Yeah, his his whole uh, character development, his whole unraveling as a character, is probably better put. Was Ian McKellen was just uh yeah. Now the, I will say awesome. when he throws the homeless guy down the steps and he's about to plunge at him and he has a heart attack and for some reason I hear the curb enthusiasm music kick in almost <laughs> ironic like dun 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 like oh not right now I'm about to murder somebody come on yeah like oh and the, uh, another thing that uh, it's a small thing but uh, he actually does cook the cat yeah in the book yeah yes. the I was relieved in the movie because I forgot about that the first time I watched it because it had been like a couple it had been like a day. Like it was that night before, and it was later in the day when Todd came over, and he's like, "What's that smell?" I was like, ah, "I would probably be gone by now because the cat was barely in the oven." Like, no, he like roasted that motherfucker in the yeah. book. <laughs> it was it was bad. <laughs> yeah, the one thing that King books can almost always be counted on is going further than their adaptations on film. Yeah. Yeah. No shit. Like God. They killed the shit out of that fucking pigeon or whatever that bird. Like. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that too. That but yeah. So that was in the book. So they they kept that. I guess like yep. we can't get it. You know, I can't do two. We gotta pick. We gotta pick yeah, one. We gotta pick cat. one. Uh, and, and and showing the turn in our main character is probably a bigger deal than we already knew after he was goose stepping. That Denker was. Yeah, he's back. He, he's yeah. done. He's, he's a he's monster. Gone. Yeah. And I I brought this up, but the um the gentleman in the hospital that recognizes him kind of ironic because where I recognize that actor from is he was the uh, tank uh, general in Indiana Jones: The Last Crusade. And then he plays the Jewish survival. That I was like, "Wow, I've what seen a complete the last turnaround. Crusade so much." When he mentioned, "Like, holy fuck!" Yep. And like, bam, right in yeah. my dude, this is how he's last my favorite Germany. Indiana yeah. Jones film. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Like, but like, <laughs> fuck. And, but I've got to give props to that actor, and I don't have his name uh, down. But th- that shit almost brought me to tears. Like, not, not. I don't remember if it did when I was younger, but as an adult now watching, because he displayed what I, I guess even try to come close to fathoming what you'd be feeling at the time, laying next to the person who killed your wife, killed your kids, killed so many thousands of your people. Like, he couldn't even make sounds. Like, he barely even make sounds to cry. Just that fear. Yeah. He's like biting his fuck, he's like chawing off his fucking fingers. Like, I mean, ugh, so so impactful. Yeah, this movie is absolutely a perfect synthesis of brilliant performances, even from bit players and expert direction from Brian Singer that creates disorienting shots. That hospital sequence works so well because of it flashes to the close-ups of the man, his arm, and then it gives you bizarre angles that are pulled back, weird, making it even more difficult to watch. The mm-hmm. whole thing is almost kind of a hallucinatory experience with the way that Brian Singer frames and shoots things. You know, I didn't think about it. that's probably a big reason why it, it it's trying to disorient you in the way that he that the that your our character at that time is feel is probably. He's not realizing that I, where I'm walking, I just need to get out of that fucking room. Yeah, the pigeon know? sequence is absolutely perfect to show you that unhinged disconnect from reality. It's shot from beneath so that all you get to see are Todd's head and like this endless gymnasium sprawling behind him that doesn't even look real mm-hmm. uh, and outdoors that doesn't look real either. It was just white. It was just yeah, a white just light. Yeah. Endless light. Yeah. Well, the only thing you establish yeah. is Surreal. that the, bird, yeah. the bird's injured. Yeah. And he it has made noise, choice. and then it stopped making noise. Yeah, it was pretty much which, and a couple thumps with the basketball, but yeah. yeah. So it's just, yeah, uh, a great, great adaptation through and through. Uh, I, again, I think in today, like modern day, with we've pushed the limits of uh, what we think people think are pal- is palatable. I think it'd be cool to do this slower in uh, you know four or five part miniseries. You know, it doesn't. You know, it is a novella. 
you know, and it did a good job of condensing into an hour and 47 minutes. It was almost two hours, but if you give it like another two hours and they, and they follow the novel, I think you'd get a lot more because you, you'd, you'd witness Todd and Denker on his, on each, their individual killing sprees and stuff like that. Well, it almost kind of breaks down into like the building up of a serial killer because like, as you say, the book does where, you know, when we were first introduced to him at the beginning of of the movie, you know, he's just like, he's got his friends, you know, he's high school, like very normal, just kind of curiosity is mm-hmm. starting to build up. And like by the end of the movie and by the end of the book, it goes a lot more from curiosity to killing and like in- enjoying it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. The book's a one way ride into insanity. This one, it kind of with the ending feels like maybe Todd's going to go on to be a CEO somewhere. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> God damn it. He's going to like, What's that? Yeah, like, uh, oh, he's so devious. He's like, the valedictorian. Yeah, he's like, headed to college. Yeah. No, you're going to do what I he's want. He's going to be in the boss for, uh, what's his face, uh, the Michael Douglas film? Well, Wall Street. Wall Street, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like, okay. Yeah, that's the thing is that ending, I mean, it's like, you know, I can do whatever I want. Like, you, I, I control the situation. And that's great, but it doesn't communicate like, I'm going to murder the fuck out of people. It just communicates like, I know how to play people. That's, exactly. I don't care about that. Yeah, there was definitely movie? more, um, no. more of a ego manipulation, power play with the film versus the the book. I agree one hundred percent with you, Mike. That uh, it was definitely just King tapping into that evil corrupts, always corrupt. It spreads. It's a cancer, and if you're around it and you seek it out and you want to get fucking down dirty into it, which he did, then it's it's gonna it's gonna leave it it's gonna leave a stain on you and or potentially infect you and it ended up affecting I mean, him. The one thing I could say that maybe the, the the movie tried to communicate is that the first time I watched it, I never read the, the the story. Is when he has that basketball, I'm waiting for him to take that basketball, smash David Schwimmer's head, and then just murder the fuck out of him. And it's almost like making the right decisions. Like you mm. kill a homeless person, there's not a lot of people looking out for him. You kill your teacher pretty obvious and you know okay and that's the thing, yeah is that, so i can say i can see that is that i could kill the fuck of you right now i could just throw this basketball while you're walking away knock you out and do whatever i need to but then so I you're get, saying this like, the film that's, turned him into a true sociopath versus just knows, someone who went knows who had a psychotic yeah. break yeah. yeah where he knows the risk he goes i got you i could kill you that's okay I but never, i'm gonna I never influence this that. and then i can kill again homeless people that people aren't gonna be looking for and don't care about as much as i don't know my teacher missing all of a sudden that's a good take i never looked at that, yeah. the difference of the ending being that way yeah i could see that ending being scarier in a way that like he's essentially turned into tracy flick from election just <laughs> yeah. completely amoral and yeah willing yeah. to do whatever that's you could have continued a little bit to show he's still fucked up and you know goes on whatever kind of killing spree it's in but the unfortunately book. we'll never get that because yeah. two of these stories Rivera Devil and the other one contain two amazingly young talented childhood actors that died yep. of both the same fucking thing ugh doing drugs at a club ODs yeah I know yeah I mean that's sad dude it is like it's fucked up man like I mean like between Brad Renfro and um River Phoenix, those were like, they would have fucking done Renfro something. Renfro definitely, because after, you know, he was in The Client, mm-hmm. and he, I mean, he'd done th- a, he'd done this was movies. like the stepping, like this movie, and then he was supposed to be involved in a lot of other, like, I don't know if either of y'all have seen Sleepers. Yeah, he's yeah. in Sleepers. Yeah, he was in, he's in Sleepers, yeah. and like, so I mean, that's, you know, the, this at Pupil was like, and then he was going to be building up to people like like Joaquin Phoenix, people at the yeah. time that were also in these kind of small role, roles building up, and he, yeah, indeed. and and yeah, River Phoenix. You know, again, he was coming up and just 
uh, anyway, it's just sad. I hate that shit, man. All right, so is this, yeah. Uh, so this is uh, this is the one that potentially gives Shawshank a run for its money. Sorry, gotta do it, man. You could just say the name of the movie, or you could sing it. Well, so this is based off the story, The Body, subtitled Fall from Innocence. This takes place in the season fall. And this is the uh, 1986 film Stand By Me, directed by Rob Reiner. And, oh boy, narrated by fucking Richard fucking Dreyfus, which is is, awesome. I think Shawshank and this hold one thing is that perfect narration choices, both times. Yeah. 100% 100% agreed. Like, who the fuck, like, all the times you've seen Richard Dreyfus, you know, I remember one of, actually one of the first films I think I ever saw him in as he, you know, because at the time it came out was Mr. Holland's Opus. And then obviously going back and seeing Jaws and um, Close, Encounters. Close Encounters and all those other stuff. But it's like, I, his, what the- once you hear him narrate, you're like, oh, and then you go back and watch his other movies, like, oh, that voice. You're like, no, you could, you could totally narrate. Like, you just didn't realize he had that oh, voice. Dude, you get to the end of that movie. Yeah. <laughs> Allergies seemed to happen to me yeah, at that time. Exactly. I'm just tearing up a little bit yeah. when he's talking about his friends and then they How, you know, fade away yeah. and, and then he brings up oh. Chris got stabbed and, and oh yeah. so it's uh, but then you see him play with his kids and his you know his well, his kid and his son and like how they're like have the friends and they're like oh it's it's just uh yeah, it's always a gamble to use the literary technique of that kind of third-person voiceover reflective narrator and bring that to film. It doesn't work a lot of the times, and it comes off as cheesy, but in both Shawshank Redemption and Stand By Me, brilliant decision to bring it to the films, and it so added an extra dimension that just wouldn't otherwise be there. And this is another one, like Shawshank, where it's... I mean, there are a couple differences that we'll get into, but it's pretty much the same. Yeah, yeah. Like they they made a couple selective choices which worked for the film and the way they and the way they were the actors and the writers just tried to decide to portray those characters. I think it had a bigger impact. I, I, so actually, the body almost made certain choices by King better. And um, uh, I'll actually touch on one of those, Mike. I, I, I want to know if you agree since you've read the story. Um, by giving making Gordy pull the gun in the movie instead of Chris, I thought that was way more impactful. Oh yeah, for yes. telling because in the book Chris Chambers just pulls a gun on Ace, and that almost yeah. like makes like what they would want to have happen. Exactly, and but they're like, no, Gordy, because Gordy, Gordy was going through his own shit, and he was fed up, and he had been struggling the entire film, and like, and that's what I'm saying yeah. is, is that like Gordy, the, the whole almost purpose, in my opinion, from watching the movie, and I've never read the book, is the get Gordy like he's still dealing with his he's brother's death. Yeah, yeah he, he's still dealing with his brother's death, and so that's the first moment where he kind of stands up. Yeah, for and, himself with the fucking gun. And he, but he yes. then immediately breaks down, and we get, which similarly happens in the in the in the story as well. But I mean, I thought that was a great uh, creative choice. Yeah, it was. And there's there's definitely some smart decisions made, focusing on the pie eating contest story rather than the much weaker other story that's in the novella. Yeah, I'm I'm glad they went with Lardass. Yeah, <laughs> what's the other story? Uh... It's some trashy, smutty little story that he tells. Oh, yeah, it was about some chick with tits, or, big tits or something yeah. like that. Or like, yeah, okay. It's not very good. No. Yeah. But the Lord ass one, the Brilliant ve- straight vengeance story. story, like, that shit's amazing. I love that scene so much. And, like, when I, I, so I saw the movie, actually, I saw this film before I read it. And um, when I read it, I, it was just, oh, it's still fun reading it. <laughs> but again, I got to say this with Darabont, Rob Reiner had done one movie prior to this. Mm. All right. And I, it, it's a movie that you wouldn't go, oh, this makes a natural transition. Spinal Tap. 
Yeah, no, not, e- not even, not even close. And then this, not even close. Completely different fucking movies. Not yep. anywhere in the same level. So it's that like almost kind of first time director taking on a king property and just knowing knowing the beats and knowing how to put it on film. People have actually given me flack when I say that for me personally, this was like my ultimate coming of age story film. Like, I mean, I love why, the Sandlot. Why, why do people give you shit? Because it's like, oh, no, they're just going to look for a dead body. I was like, you did not watch that fucking wow. film at all. They are yeah. going through so much. <laughs> yeah, they're, oh. <laughs> they're dealing with a brutal, repressive age, terrible families that don't pay any attention to them or are actively meddling and destroying their lives. And it really is a journey from, like, boyhood to the realization of that they're going to have to be capable and look out for themselves. When they come back... Yeah, it starts yeah. as a lark and it yeah. ends into life and death situations. Each one of those, I, I, I've said this so many times with my, my group of friends, is that like there's times when your friends are there to lean on. When you run into these kind of huge life changing things or things that affect you, and almost every character, like all, all the four boys, have some situation that they lean on their friends for. Exactly. Even Verno with his fucking brother. And, 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 yeah. and, and like, the, the Vern's big thing was the train track. Yeah. He was so saying, scared, but like, saying, no, he's still Gordy was right there. His brother, like, picking yeah. on him and stuff like that. I mean, everybody else is a little more hardcore in the home life, but he's still dealing with being bullied and the fat kid and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So there's still that, but I mean, obviously Chris, I mean, the fucking abusive, shitty fucking, like, you know, like, growing up, I mean... Uh, well, I mean, not even that, but like you talk about the milk money, yeah, yeah. immediately blamed for it, regardless yeah. of you know, like, He's and then asleep. and that's and that story is right from the book where like you know he gave it back because he gained a conscience. He's re- he's re- trying to not be. A yeah. Chambers, yeah, right. Because mm-hmm. Chambers, that family comes back up. As I'm saying, like uh, in Castle Rock, following him, and uh, you know the Castle Rock stories. They yeah, all, they all the, the family comes up, and then but then like he's like, well, well, that money never made it back once I handed it in. So it's like these motherfuckers are crooked too. He's like, he realized it's all fucking rigged, but he's the one getting shit on, and like that, that, for for like a 13, 14 year old to fucking have that realization, that's like that's like heartbreaking. <laughs> like, yeah. and then you know, what's Corey Feldman's character? I'm drawing a blank on right now. Oh, um. Yeah, I can't remember his character's name. But you I know, know his dad's. I know his dad's, dad's a loony, crazy. loony yeah. up until loony, loony, yep. loony, loony. And you're like, loony. man. Like, but honestly, Gordy, I think Gordy has the worst because, like, his nightmares is his dad looking at him saying, "It should have been you." Like, how fucking hardcore. Dude, that's fucked up. Like that's some, like, and you like, and then his dad doesn't actually say that to him, but they go through all the motions that. That's the way that it makes sense. He would have these nightmares about it because the family's just no emotion. That's just like, hey, I'm going to go to so and so. Yeah, whatever. Just like, oh, you're going to be gone for a few days. We don't fucking care. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's why anybody who tells you that this is not the best coming of age story is objectively wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stuff like the Sandlot idealizes that age and time. This is a actual destruction in real time early of the myth of the like 50s 60s baby boom era being a wonderful happy place because no. these families have problems that are either lurking below the surface or right in your face and nobody is happy it's a time of conflict this is not mayberry no and they and they directly actually with um lachance um they directly target who king does the boomer era when he's like Lachance is just like um, not 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 Gord- not Gordy fuck what the fuck is this kid's name it's killing me so you got Gordy you got Vern Tessio <clears throat> you got you got Chris Chambers and you got 
Uh, the other one. Oh, but it's like he's it's one like of the, being in the Smiths. He's or like something. one of the, he's, he's actually one of the most physically fucking tragic characters. Teddy. Teddy. That's right. <laughs> oh, fuck. Perfect we, name for him. <laughs> forget Teddy. Anyway, when uh, they you know they're, they're escape when they break out of the fucking uh, junkyard. And, they, you know, the dad talks shit about his dad. He's like, my dad's stored in the beach at Normandy. So they're yep. directly referencing boomers. And the PTSD and that, that comes with that World War II generation. Exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, and like my grandfather, I remember my grandfather and, I, and we uh, we lived with them for a while. You know, he was in the Navy World War II over in Japan. And he's just like, like, you know, all my, my grandfather, and my great uncle had, uh, you know, great uncles had severe, you know, my, my, my own great uncle was at the battle, was like out, right outside the Battle of Bulge, not in the... Not directly in the center of the forest, but right outside, and he was—they were still dropping mortars Jeez. and shit out there. So it's just like, so, but it was called shell shock back then. Yep, that's what it was. It wasn't PTSD, but like, it's showing that er, this far back in the '80s that like, no, it's not okay. Like, come home and like your husband's gonna be normal, or you know, your, your brother's gonna be the same. This shit—that's not how that shit worked. Yeah, and this is a frequent Stephen King theme as well. Much like the evil from Apt Pupil, he returns to this in the JFK assassination book, Big mm. Time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, say another. I keep bringing up Shawshank in this, but as in where you had Clancy Brown as the perfect antagonist, right? Keep for Sullivan, bro. Keep Sullivan, yeah. Ooh, man, oh. th- it's this, and then right after this, he does Lost Boys. And yeah. It's like, man, Kiefer was he kept the hair, knocking, <laughs> he just, he just, knocking that shit out. He man. basically went into Lost Boys and trimmed the sides up a bit, kept the back length, and like cut the, and just you know. Uh, and I know people see, oh, you mean the dude from Twenty Four? Yes, but go back and see him in no. this movie because He's it's completely dude. different. This was character. my first introduction to Kiefer Sullivan. Yeah. Was this movie Stand by Me? Yeah, it's the perfect synergy between character and role because Ace is one of Stephen King's best prototypical right? villains. No, he is. It's that whole theme of the banality of evil right there. He's a small town bully who's just going to end up a drunk laborer, which we've seen evil things. Yep. But this is the best adaptation of Ace. Whatever. And I, I remember I watched, uh, there was this thing on YouTube, I think it was either, I think GQ did it, and it was like, Kiefer Sutherland talking about his favorite roles, and Ace Merrill came up, and he talked about performing Ace, and he was like, I needed just, like, I didn't go around the kids, so when they saw me in, in filming, they, they hated me, like, and, they oh, no. they were scared of me. I've also watched a couple of behind yeah. the scenes of this movie, yeah. and Rob Reiner intentionally kept them apart till their scenes, mm-hmm. because to kind of build up this like actual like because Keith Sutherland at the time with those kids that was an imposing figure the way yeah. his demeanor just, everything dude you know he played a vampire Lost Boys but you wouldn't know he wasn't playing it because he has just this aura of just fucked up evil mm-hmm. that he doesn't say a fuck he says some fucked up shit but you just look at him and you're just like don't cross him yeah and like this is still to this day my favorite and we've had I think three adaptations of Ace yeah um, he is my favorite. Like, it will always be like if they ever come back and adapt some races older, and I would, I, w- I wish Kiefer would jump back on that because now the age would, the ages would add up. Because I really would love to see him jump back into that with how far he's come in his career as acting and just what he could bring to the table now as a, as an older, still like fucked up Ace Merrill. Yeah, you know, like Ace Merrill never learned anything. Yeah, he just stayed a piece of shit. during the novella it's a tremendous arc for him because the novella has an epilogue that the film doesn't and it just you can see ace diminished and it drives home the absolute theme of this coming of age story it's not a happy coming of age story we go from something that's a lark weird and tall tales into just the grind of every day and everything the magic is sucked out of at the end of the body that's the thing it's like 
there isn't that happy ending. It's like, no, like it, it's not saying life is always going to be a down note, but like the, the happy ending thing, it's, that's not like, that's not like the base level of existence, right? Like you've got to find that, you know, and, and, and they've, but they have never been put in a position where they had to find that. And now, now they realize, like you said, that they have to, they have to, they have to realize we've got to do something or we're going to be stuck and it's just going to be this forever. You know? Yep. So now I absolutely get and understand why fans of the Sandlot now and then and Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants hate you. The reason is because your favorite demolishes their favorites. It's that's I fair. mean Sandlot came out eight, nine years after Stand By Me. Yeah, it was like ninety two. I just yeah, come on. The nineties, I mean, all the coming issues in the nineties were all happy. Yeah, yeah. And they weren't based off Stephen King. Books. Well, maybe not my girl, but No, I love my I see I love my girl. Maybe <laughs> I just love fucked up shit. I love my girl. My girl is such such a great fucking movie. Beast, not the beast, not the beast. <laughs> it's so fucked up, and yet everybody's like, "God, I love my girl." And you're like, "It's so sad." Like, yeah, yeah, sad. You're like, "God and you damn." Know, maybe man. that's why I don't like my girl too, because no one dies in it. <laughs> Everybody only watches that movie to see Macaulay, the kid from Home Alone, fucking die by bees. All right. You no, know, you know, actually, you know what I think I really dug about that film. Just a side note: uh, this is a departure from King, even though I don't, even though the tone is kind of similar, that foreboding, you know. Shit's going about to get fucked up. Thing is that it was a non like girly girl lead. She was just trying to figure out, you know, parents, you know, mom's gone. Yeah, she died, left with her dad. It was it was just, it it really grounded the traditional like young girl movie because I you know I remember watching some of those other you know movies that were more based around a young girl versus a young boy, right? And just thinking like this doesn't seem this doesn't seem real. You know, but then this movie came out and I was like, wait, okay, now we're talking. Now here's the meat and potatoes. Like, I just, I'm just trying to figure the fucking shit out, right? And you get Macaulay on death then, yeah. And so. you get Macaulay on death then. <laughs> but like, that was heartbreaking. Yeah. And so sad. It's so sad. So the point I can send a meme about it to people and they'll just immediately text me back the crying face emoji at this point. Because oh, it still hurts later. Oh, it still hurts. Oh, every Valentine's Day, somebody will post a photo of McCall Calden. Be mine or with, something. Yeah, be yeah. mine. <laughs> with the, like, you're like, come on, That's like man. somebody posts something about Wash, dude. It's still too soon. Yep. Still yep. too soon. <laughs> but to me, I agree. I'll, I'll, I agree with you, Stephen. Stand By Me is the essential, like, come on, Coming of age. story, dude. Like and the soundtrack. I mean, again. Oh, can we talk every- about the fifties? We got fucking Buddy Holly. We've got the Four Tops. We got dude. There's so I much shit. I can't hear live pop without doing the, the pop. Y- you have <laughs> to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude. So good. So good. Or oh, they're doing. Uh, they're they're do- playing the baseball game to yak the yak. They're just knocking out mailboxes. I'm like, yep. oh, <laughs> such douches. <laughs> fucking. <laughs> um, they're, I, they're, and they're and they're making their own. Cobra's tattoo, like yeah. oh, it's so fifties <laughs> so dumbass, bad. dude. It's so bad. But people did that. But that that shit happened. You know, we've we've read the Outsiders too. It's like mm-hmm. based in the same time period. Like that dumb shit like that happened. Yeah, they didn't have Fortnite. They didn't even have Super Mario Brothers. Like no. you just gotta gotta roll your sleeves and put the cigarette packet in there. Yeah. <laughs> and again, I'll challenge someone to watch that movie, and you get to the end, and, and you don't cry, and the music oh. cues in. Doo-doo-doo. And he starts talking about what happens to him after they split off and they grow up. Fuck, man. Yeah. Like, you know, ugh. if I could just get like that score, I would take, the, I, you know, I, I, I could listen to that. Just it's, it, it does. It, that score does to me what like the, the hope score from Star Wars does. Like when first time you hear that is when Luke's staring at the two sons on Tatooine is like, 
you know, that just operatic take of the main theme where it's like, do 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 And you're like, oh, my heart, can't take oh. it. Like, and just that, that the ending scene. The Tucson scene. Yeah, dude. Right? But that yeah. ending scene in Stand By Me does the same thing where it's just like, all his friends disappear. And the, and the biggest one was Chambers because it, it brings you back to the future or the present at the time. It references the newspaper from the beginning that you had no idea what you, you know, as a, if you're just watching the movie, you have no idea where that, yeah. what that, why that meant anything. You're like, oh no, bro, you're just trying to be a good guy and you got stabbed. Oh, and it's see to go so the nice guys finish last, right? That, that was a, that, that came up in the story and he was trying to be a good guy and fucking got stabbed and he was yep. a lawyer he and, did it and he, he did what a, everybody thought he couldn't do he overcame every obstacle right and yeah. chris was the main supporter on him writing his stories yes and that, that's the thing is like yeah. now he's an adult he's a writer and like it's because this is obviously his, his fucking family gave up on that shit because they're they wouldn't play football so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah. I, I will say i think of the non-supernatural horror themed properties Obviously, Shawshank and Stand By Me, top two. Like, oh, yeah, without a doubt. Without yeah. a fucking doubt. Because, right, you go in the Green Mile with Darabont, and yeah, it's and definitely supernatural, supernatural elements. Yeah. yeah. Even though Michael Clark Duncan, we'll get into the Green Mile. Well, that was actually just a straight novel, so that won't be in the adaptation. Damn it. We'll have to fucking make We'll have to work we'll that have in. We'll have to, like, lump some have to work novels that in. together, yeah. Well, you could, in theory. It was a gimmick of a novel because it came out in the short little volumes like it was Dickens back in the day. Did it? I didn't yeah. know that. Its original version was like individual little books that came out like one at a time. Really? Yep. Ooh, I like it. Yeah, there Stephen King is all about the gimmicks and the throwbacks and the literary <laughs> traditions. So I wonder how much those are worth if you have the original copies of the mini editions just for collective yeah. shits and giggles. Like, if you know what I mean? Like, if you actually bought those when they came out, as there they came out. There is a whole universe of Stephen King collectors on Instagram, and I love seeing, like, the Ukraine editions of If It Bleeds, or, like, the signed <laughs> first edition Firestarter copies. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> oh, see, that's a movie I don't care about doing a killer filler on. Firestarter. No, I, have, notice, I have, like, zero ish, I have zero desire to see the remake of that. Terrific novel. And and oh, great, great book. Not a good movie. Yeah, it great came and book. went, and we no, have never it. But the Drew Barrymore, from what I understand, is Oscar worthy compared to the modern one. What we got with Zac Efron and whoever the fuck else was in that movie. Yeah, yeah. I heard. Yeah. yeah, see, that's why I never brought that up for Killer. I'm like, I don't, I don't need to do no. Nope. Because all right, like based off the book, the original one's still. I mean, George C. Scott and Drew Barrymore are the only reasons to watch that film because George yeah. C. Scott eats that fucking shit for dinner. He's just like. I'm eating the scene. Fucking eye patch. Like, yeah. oh, murder the shit out of that little girl. Yeah, exactly. like, he, <laughs> yeah. He loves like I just I want to pretend like I'm a feeble old man, but I'll murder the shit out of you. Like, exactly. Yeah. And those are the only reasons to watch the film because when the they're not in the scenes, it's terrible. Flat nosebleeds. Oh, uh, it's fucking terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which uh for those of you who don't know, I know we've referenced it on Geo episodes before. That's probably where they got it for Stranger Things. Just saying. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, King, for nosebleeds being uh, linked to like psychic powers. Psychic powers. Yep. But yeah. So uh, we're down to one more season here, and that is has not been ad adapted. But we will give it a brief mention because we're only going. You know, we're only talking about the things that you can watch if you're not a reader. So we want you to be able to see these stories. It's called the Breathing Method, subtitled A Winter's Tale. Now I did hear that it was. It's been in development since 2019. Uh, obviously. COVID yeah, probably fucks shit up, but Scott pandemic. Derrickson was is pinned as the director. His newest movie is Black Phone, so that's got mixed reviews. I've yet to watch it. I also wasn't super interested in seeing it based off the trailers, but it's a King Extended Universe adaptation. It was a Joe Hill short, really. 
Was it? Yeah. Hmm. Huh. See, I like Joe. I like me some Joe Hill. See? I think we should cover it. I wish they'd do an adaptation of Heart-Shaped Box. I have some opinions on it because I just watched it, so... If we do cover it, <laughs> yeah, got some opinions on it. Yeah, and I so I don't, I don't I haven't read that, so I don't have reference to what liberties he took with it either. But this Scott Derrickson, I mean, yeah, he did Doctor Strange first one. All right, you know, like we said, Black Phone. He did though do a movie that is infamous and I low down on myself. We're saved from finishing this movie mm-hmm. because we watched Deliver Us from evil, evil with uh, Eric Bana and Urbana. and luckily theater lost there was power the, the, yeah the projector <laughs> malfunctioned oh was it was that was yeah that it? okay because the, yeah. the the manager came in and said hey if you want I can try to get it back on screen and we no. said we said no we've seen enough and we we're about 40 maybe an hour 40 minutes an hour in uh, we, were, we were I think we I think we there was still at least I'd say 30 minutes left yeah there was like 30 40 and we said you know what we're good. Yeah, we're good. Don't, don't, we we're the only people. We're the only people in the theater, and we said, "Don't worry about it. Uh, just uh, but we're gonna just leave." You know what? I still got to watch Hunter's face in a bone breaking scene. This was <laughs> worth it. God damn it! <laughs> but yeah, fuck practical effect bone breaking scene, yeah. by the way. But yeah, no. Yeah. So this director's definitely had some uh, ups and downs. When it he comes did, to I feel like he did something else too. Like, uh, um, I feel like there's there's like two other ones that I feel like were big ones that I remember. Oh shit! Okay, he did those like kind of thing. Uh, involved in Into the Dark as an executive producer, a lot of a lot of producing, not as much directing. Okay, maybe maybe I saw his name attached and it was because Sinister. Was, he was a, a producer and on the Sinister too. Yeah, uh, which was yeah. If he can pull off bone breaking violence, then it's probably in good hands. Since this story is a weird one, it's just about an absolutely bizarre medical incident, and that's really just the whole story. Oh, oh, they probably. I can throw another one out that he did. I don't know if he wants us to bring up um, the day the Earth stood still remake. Yeah, that was thinking of that. <laughs> and yeah, Ooh. the exorcism of Emily Rose. I did say that one. Yeah, yeah. but no, the day the Earth stood still. That's what. And I he was, was the of. director of Sinister. So okay, yeah, okay, yeah. 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 So he's Sinister is solid. I fucking man, love that. that Talk about was some fucking ups solid. and downs. I mean, yeah. this that, what was his this very first, I feel like his very first film was a good one. Mm, it was a Hellraiser sequel. No, never mind. That was Inferno. Fuck that. Yeah, that was Inferno. That was a piece of shit. And then actually some Emily Rose, and then uh, upset. But yeah, so it who took knows? Him a minute. Who knows <laughs> how that movie would have gone? Would it be a sinister, or would it no, be based, a deliver us based from off evil? the story? Unless he did, unless he took like hard liberties, um, and like basically wrote a different story. Uh, it's revolve around a doctors in like a weird ass club. Yeah, it's a frame know? novel as its yeah. literary gimmick. Essentially, it's a group of doctors in a club telling each other weird stories, and the weirdest one of all is about a doctor who invents a breathing method that was unconventional in Edwardian times and uh, has a patient use it to go th- beyond the bounds of life and death. Mm-hmm. But it was it was taught to them as like almost like a Lamaze class, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Proto Lamaze. She gets to an accident at the end of the uh, towards you know pretty much towards at the towards the end of the novella, and her, she gets decapitated, but like she, her lungs are still working, everything's still working when the doctor gets there, and her head's way off in the distance, and he can see her doing the breathing method, and she's able to give birth, and then also mouth thank you to the doctor if I remember that correctly. Yeah, and I'm like, uh. Okay. All right. <laughs> it's a weird club. It shows up in a couple of Stephen King's short story collections. It's not his strongest material, but no. It. I think it could be. It would be one to go watch, not taking seriously. Yeah. Now I will say, to me, when I think of a better version of that is Peter Straub's, who R.I.P. We got to mention that. Um, we haven't recorded since we found out that he passed. Um, oh shit! Yeah. Yeah, he died. Yeah, unfortunately. 
Um, I mean, I, me obviously we're talking about King fucking Talisman, Jesus fucking Christ, yep. and 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 people give his shit, but the fucking Black House is a good fucking book, man. He didn't always write great. They, there wasn't a lot of great sequels in later part in life, but I I will count that as as a good fucking sequel to an amazing story. Absolutely, I will. Like, like we talked about Doctor Sleep, fuck that book. <laughs> <laughs> Black House, it was cool. They, well, they they brought they brought in some of the newer stuff tying in more with the dark tower outside of directly the dark tower like some of the other out, out outlying elements of it and just the way that dealing with like a basically drug addict <laughs> torrance <laughs> uh no it wasn't torrance what was what was, what was his last name it's jack and the talisman it was jack uh yeah it's not important but um yeah so he had a short he had a story called ghost story that was it was adapted into a into a uh, into a, 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 a made I don't know if it was made for TV because the only time I saw it first my mom had made, recorded it off of TV, um, but it's it about it, called, four, go, it was the four it guys was called that, go, yeah four guys no, that got back. I remember that movie creepy as fuck. Dude. My dad took me to see that yeah. when I was <laughs> yeah. five or six. Yeah, scared the living shit out of me. Yeah, I've yet to ever see, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that movie is very fucking scary. It's almost like it was a, a like. I don't know which one came out first, but it's almost like if that came out after, it was a watered down version of like that kind of. There's some club creepy mentality. fucking elements to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely terrifying a five year old. Yeah, it makes sense because Peter Straub is he held back less than Stephen King and was frequently scarier. Yeah, his shorts are a lot grosser than Stephen King's. Yeah, man. Well, that's a good. Another, that's another ground. Need to go back you know, and watch. Ghost he doesn't right have now. a lot of adaptations, though. Man, like he didn't make it to where like people like when you hear his name, like you know, like if if you're doing a trail, like from the from the macabre mind of Peter Straub, you know, like now it's like you're you're guaranteed to make money at least the first weekend from the mind of Stephen King. And then once the news gets out, second week it might not be yeah. so good. The <laughs> the King. We'll remake a pet cemetery. Yeah, like, like oh, oh no, no, you greenlit this, bro. Yeah. No, no, he's a harder brand to sell because most of his stories are interior, utterly insane, and disgusting to boot. They are not for all tastes. No, no. All right, um, that's pretty much that's a different season, guys. It was four stories, four seasons, three were ad- three were adapted, all three fucking bangers, man. Yeah. Like. Two were definitely, I mean, two were definitely rise above, but like, it, we'll get to another one that's four stories and, uh, Yeah, that's what oh I'm saying. Boy. You get three uh, pretty strong woo. movies compared to, yeah. I mean, to, I, I remember uh, last year recording and uh, like I said, there's a, a few. Oh no, there's another one that's literally four novellas and they are, it is, they are not. Raptastic. They are, there's, yeah. oh. You got anything to say about those four? <laughs> right. Which collection is that? Four past midnight. Oh, four past midnight. Oof. Yeah. See. Yeah. yeah. It's. Oof. We'll say that. That'll one. be a couple. That's gonna be. Gonna gonna be say, a couple years for that. But yeah. you can't <laughs> knock his full dark no stars collection of novellas. They're just brilliant. No, but that's like so, so far away. It's yeah. so far away because. Four Past Midnight was literally the next four-part novella from yeah. this, and it's like, oh god, the stories were good, but this is oh. Anyway, mm-hmm. you'll we'll we'll get into that. So. Uh, all right, we're going to wrap that up on different seasons, and uh, I recommend that you go and buy a copy of different seasons, as always recommend reading it prior to watching it, uh, through our link at gopodcast.com. Uh, just go to our links tab, click the Amazon link, it takes you there, log in, and then just search Stephen King Different Seasons. You can get it in hard, hard, ba- hard, you know, hardcover, uh, trade paperback, 
pocket uh, pocket paperback, any version you want, you know, because you got the small little paperbacks that are pulp. You can store them away when you're done with them kind of thing. I prefer, if I'm going to use it, I like the taller, wider versions of paperback. Book Nerd says go to a used bookstore and find yourself that old school 80s mass market cover with the sun, the moon, etc. Just because Magical. I have that doesn't mean that you need to do that when you could we could make money <laughs> off your sale. Um, but I, but I, mean, I, I kind uh, of agree. Besides that, because <laughs> I have that, I have I actually have two of those. There is a I have one. amazing okay. restoration or 4K uh, version of Shawshank. Oh, it's gorgeous! Holy yeah. fuck! Yeah. That fucking get on Amazon because yeah. I I mean you can buy I, all these a, films. And all I think Stand By Me now they have got a 4K, yeah, 4K version. one now on Stand By Me? I, I yeah. I don't think up. it's a big Ledger's one like edition yet, but the Shawshank one. But they, the Shawshank hit the bells, harder. Shawshank hit yeah. the theater world harder, dude. Yeah, like, but I'm saying bells and whistles, it's on there. So go on Amazon, get pick up that. Fuck it's yeah. Worth it. And uh, right next to the Amazon link on our links page is T Public. That's Ooh. where all the other. That's where all the shows have all their designs. That's like on, and you can get them on everything. I mean, fucking everything, and. It's spooky season, so that means we brought back out our spooky designs, and we've added, I believe, two, so we're like well over 50 designs right now, and these designs will be up through the end of the year, uh, through the through the entire holiday season, so make sure that you take advantage of it this year if you've not done it the past few years, because, yeah, get, there's look, a sale every weekend. Time. Get, get it on a hoodie, you know? Hoodie, long sleeve, like if you're like me, I wear more long sleeves, it takes, it's got to get start getting pretty chilly for me to wear a hoodie, um, or buy a, just a fucking sweatshirt. Yeah. Like they have just the standard no hooded sweatshirts. And, you know, tote bags always going to be an option too. Yeah, it's fucking tote bags. <laughs> uh, hey, buy a tote bag big enough and I'll mail you Hunter's head. Wow. And you can bury it in one of our tote bags. <laughs> yeah, got to get a bunch of tote bags though, right? Yeah. yeah. Some tote bags, yeah. Uh, and then, um, always, while you're on geopodcast.com. Make sure to check out all the other shows under the network. There's tons of fucking fun for everybody. Trust me, you'll have a blast. And also hit us up at lowdownbrown.gui.gmail.com. Let us know what you think about these stories, these adaptations. If you're an avid King reader, which I hope you are. If you um, have a problem with any three of these movies. Yeah, or, or if you have a problem. Yeah, exactly. If you have a problem it. with the adaptations or if you disagree with how the stories flowed from the novel, let us know. We just want to hear. Like, we... I have yet to meet somebody uh, that has a differing say, opinion on any of these, especially the stories. Shock us. Uh, especially from the book, but, I mean, hey, we're open to a conversation on that, so just make sure you hit us up. And now, it is time for... Stump. The Host. All right, so we tied on the last episode. Shit, man. Yeah, we did. You this motherfucker. Some, this is going to be some intense shit now, because now it's going to be back and forth, back, back and, and forth. forth. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. So, we have tied. It's time the host, bitches. Mike, you decide who goes first. Let's throw it out to you first. Oh, fuck me. Ooh. That's not a good thing. <laughs> this will be a fun one. I'm going to try my best to keep these focused on adaptations. Oh, boy. So, here's one for you. Mm. Alexandre Aha's breakout 2003 French extreme horror film is a very loose adaptation of a Dean Koontz novel, which Dean Koontz hated but refused to sue over because it would bring the movie more notoriety. What was that film? 2003? High Tension? Yes. Oh, what was that adaptation of? His book, High Intensity, which is a thriller he wrote that he intended as an experiment to prove there were, like, that he could do a book with no pauses and just tension and a cat and mouse killer story. I need to read that. No shit. Because that movie, yeah. yeah. It plays very, very loose with uh, the actual Kuntz novel. Uh, I'm assuming it's the Kuntz is in his graphic. 
Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. No, uh, uh, was it? No head blowjobs. Dresser, dre- or dresser scene. Yeah, oh, no, the, the, the director wasn't head. in it. The chainsaw yeah. wasn't in it. <laughs> the decapitated head blowjob was, though? No. 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 <laughs> and then the decapitated head was placed into the lap. <laughs> anyway. I just, all right. So uh, I've got one for you. Speaking of extremely loose adaptations, what 1988 Wes Craven film was based on a dense botany nonfiction book that proposed that Haitian zombie legends were due to pufferfish tetrodotoxin poisoning? What year was the year again? Sorry. 1988, Wes Craven and Zombies. Fuck, the only thing I can think of is Shocker. Uh, Service of the Light? Very, God, very close. Serpent of the Rainbow. Service of the Rainbow. Serpent of the Rainbow. Serpent Serpent so I got we, we got to cancel that, I guess. Yeah, yeah fuck. cancels it out. <laughs> fuck. I knew a service or something. God damn it. I just Bill Pullman. After... Fucking Bill Pullman was in that shit. <laughs> yep. God damn it. Oh. Yeah, playing a Harvard botanist. A, and there's a series on um, Shutter called um, Curse Films, and that they covered that and, and just <laughs> completely blanked out because they had a lot of problems in the production with that movie. Yeah, no, I, I do. God damn, damn it, I could have got stolen. Fuck, fuck me. All right. Uh, yep. Yeah. All right, I've got one for you. What 1999 horror western is based on the real-life incidents involving the Donner Party and the cannibal Alfred Packer? Oh, Ravenous? Yep. God damn it! <laughs> Both Guy Pierce, baby. Guy Pierce. Oh. All right, I got one for you. Bernard Rose adapted a Clive Barker short story and a number of Chicago Reader articles about a real-life homicide into what 1992 film? Repeat that one more time. Sorry. Mm. I'm pretty sure I'd, I'd know this. I'd Bernard know. Rose adapted a Clive Barker short story mm-hmm. and a number of Chicago Reader articles about a real-life homicide. Candyman. No, I was going to say, yeah. God damn, you better get that right. I, 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 was, I was like, Chicago, ADA. No, Clive. for me, it was uh, 92 Bernard Rose. Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, I was like, you better get that motherfucker. All right, All right. two to one. Let's go. All right. Tony Burgess adapted his experimental novel into this tense 2008 horror movie about a Canadian radio station at the heart of a rage zombie outbreak. Turn Living Dead? Rage of the Grave? I have no idea. Rage of the Grave, that's all I got. I'm so upset because I am midway watching this movie and I am drawing a complete... It's 2008? Yeah. yeah. Give, me, give me a second. God damn it. I'm literally watching this movie right now. And I'm I'm going to kill myself because I can't. Mm, rapid think. fire. I understand. Yeah, that's it. It's gonna I, fucking I, fuck, I, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Ponty pool. Ponty pool. Yeah. Oh fuck, yeah. Katie. Like I didn't know I it was that old. Yeah. I've I, watched that. I didn't know it was that I'm old. Literally halfway through. That <laughs> no, movie. Like, she she, ref- she she gave us that like two years ago. Yeah. Or about yeah, it was like two years ago. Or was it or was a year ago? One of the two. Yeah. But I didn't realize it was 2008. God damn it! I was. Yeah. Because I thought of that, but I'm like, no, 2008. This is newer than that. Fuck. All right. So, yeah, I guess that's. Is that it? Or I guess no. no I guess yeah, I have one, more yeah, one more chance. I more chance. One more chance. Oh, and I get one more chance to steal. Oh, the pressure's on. The pressure is on. Okay, here we go. I got one for you. Jack Ketchum's novels have been adopted into a, or adapted into a four film franchise about a multi generational saga of a family of feral humans. The latter two of which have been feminist focused. Name any of these cannibal family movies. Jack Ketchum cannibal movies fuck um and they're female oriented the last two are god damn i have no fucking idea uh there's yeah. four of them yes there's four movies or four books four movies out of three books <laughs> holy fuck I, mm. so I feel like i should know this and it's gonna kick my ass Matoss out a hint lucky mckee helped collaborate on it as did uh 
the star of the Lucky McKee one on the most recent iteration. Yeah, that doesn't right. help me. I have no right. idea. So, all right. Okay, we got Offspring, Off Season, The Woman, and Darling. I have seen none of those. Yeah, none of those. Special. All right. Uh, can I have another question? No, nope, nope. two to one, bitch. All right. Suck these nuts. I guess that's it then. Yeah, two yep. to one. Yeah. I mean, that was six questions. Yeah. Son of a we bitch. Didn't even tie, so I win. Fuck you. Damn it. Why couldn't you have had that last question? <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> well, I'm pissed because I fucking uh, missed the um, the other one, so I would have like, it would just been like a I'm pissed sweep. at a movie that I'm in the midst of watching I couldn't remember the fucking title of, so I could have tied this bitch up, so <laughs> whatever. Yeah, well, there you have it, folks. That, that's what's insulting. Literally, <laughs> you're watching, watching the, movie. the fucking movie and going, uh, I'm watching it. I know exactly. As soon as he said DJ, and not being able to say the title. Motherfucker. So. Fucker. Yeah. No, I, I literally thought Pontypool, and I was like, no, that's not 2008. Yeah. Fuck if it's not. All right. We're going to catch some go. shit. We're going to catch some shit. Oh, yeah, because we got to, yeah, <laughs> yeah, fuck. Yep. Yeah, so, Mike, as always, thank you for being on. Well, Greatly thank you for having it, me. Love this you enjoy, topic. Did you enjoy it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Fucking always love your insight. It's fucking always a blast. I remember that time Mike had joined us and recorded that episode on Stand By Me. He would go on to uh, get married and. All right, we're done. <laughs> I, I, made it, I made it through the one measure. Some, like, I'm some gonna... narration and then him just yeah. disappear in front of us. But I made it through the bar. I'm good. Like, out. I'm, yeah. yeah. All right. So um, thank you everyone for joining us. And until we talk to you again, embrace the madness. Lowdown Brown. Inviting you to check out Geek Some of the Influence, a podcast that pairs booze with conversation with good friends. And a little nerd culture. We get a lot of colorful conversation out of our episodes, but it is here for everyone. No gatekeeping. Always level up everything we do. We'll punch up, never punch down. Exactly. So check out Geeks Under the Influence everywhere you get your podcasts and join us or die. Shut the fuck up, Hobbit. Welcome to GUI Nights. GUI Nights. Yeah, I am Lowdown Brown. With me as always, Mike the Hobbit. This is the tangential side of GUI. This is like so many of those other shows that has the after the show bit mixed with a little bit of Baywatch Nights, so it's a little sexier. It's a little bit after hours. Also while tying it into the previous episode of GUI, so look forward to that too because this comes out the week after the flagship hour-long episode. So make sure to check out GUI Nights, and uh, when you're done, you can go the fuck home. In a world with too many reboots and remakes, two men will stop at nothing to make it even worse. Join Mike the Hobbit and Tondi as they play by their own rules while pitching new takes on some of your favorite and least favorite films and TV shows. What podcast would dare to bring this upon the world? This is Smack My Pitch.
My name is Amy Bogard. And I'm Mike the Hobbit. And we are the hosts of Deeply Upsetting, where we use our expertise to answer your most upsetting hypothetical quandaries, such as what non-wigged animal deserves wings? And what body part deserves a secret mouth? Which cryptid is the worst roommate? These questions and more that plague you will be answered on Deeply Upsetting, available anywhere you get your podcasts and at GUIPodcast.com. Coming straight from the mouths of madness, I'm Lowdown. I'm F.U. Hunter. Do you love horror? We fucking do. So this is a podcast dedicated to all things in cinematic horror. We're talking movies, television, composers, special effects artists. We're going to fucking cover it. So if you love horror, embrace the madness. Hey guys, Scotty P here with Smash on your left. And we are the Geek Fathers. That's right, bringing all the trials and tribulations of being a geeky parent. So welcome to our world. And as always, join us or cry. In a world of blockbuster movies, there is another dimension. The dimension of schlock cinema. Join us at Beautiful Disasters on a journey into the fringe territory of B-movie abandon. We review the flicks that are forgotten or underappreciated to give them a proper place in the annals of celluloid history. I'm the Groots. F.U. Hunter. Your guides at Beautiful Disasters. Come along with us for a fun ride. May May the the schlock be with you. you.